Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Have you ever forgiven somebody, but they did not change? I'm pretty sure that you have. That is a common experience where someone will come to you and say, hey, would you forgive me for such and such? And then they not only do not change, but they become repeat offenders. They do it again and again. And sometimes you can find yourself in this cyclic loop of offering forgiveness to those who ask, but they never progress in their sanctification. Well, I want to talk about that for a few minutes because I believe that this is a common experience for most of us. And because it is, it would really be good if we got our mind around how to respond to the person who is that repeat offender. You see, forgiveness is only one aspect of the change process. Forgiveness is not complete change because there are several links after forgiveness in the repentance sequence. Now, forgiveness is a vital mile marker that leads to complete repentance, making this step non-negotiable because we cannot experience transformation without biblically forgiving each other. But what if a person keeps asking for forgiveness and never changes? What are we to do with repeat offenders? Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas. Welcome to Life Over Coffee. I'm so thankful that you are here. We create resources that spark conversation for transformation. And I hope what I'm about to share with you will spark conversations that lead to transformation. And so I've titled this, What If I Forgive, But They Never Change? And if you want to read this word for word, well, you're welcome to do that. Go to our coffee shop at lifeovercoffee.com and you can type some version of that title into the search feature and you will find it and you're welcome to read. You can watch or you can listen to it. Let me begin by sharing a, an uncomfortable passage of Scripture that you are familiar with from Matthew 18. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, and here comes the hard part, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, Peter does raise a good question when he thought about the complexity of forgiveness. How often should we forgive the unchanging person? And of course, (laughs) Jesus answered his question hyperbolically, pointing to our infinite opportunities to forgive offenders. And the implication is clear. We must forgive those who ask, but it does not mean the asking soul will change. If you have ever been in this spot with an offender, you know how forgiveness can wear thin if the offending person continues to behave poorly. And so they come to you one more time and they ask for forgiveness. And then again, And again, and you find yourself in Peter's position. Lord, how many times should I forgive this person? Seven times? No, seven is a good start. You want to forgive this person 
77 times. And so may I ask you the question, has someone in your life asked for forgiveness repeatedly but never changed their behavior? I mean, perhaps that person is you. I know it's me. I mean, that's where my mind tends to go when I hear a question like what Peter asked. I, I know that you don't want to be that person that always asks for forgiveness but never changes. But the truth is, all of us are repeat offenders. And so I trust as you think about the repeat offenders in your life that you're not first looking over the fence at all of the repeat offenders out there. But we include ourselves in the number because the truth is we have a habit or two, a sinful habit or two that continues to harass our souls. Some of you may struggle with fear, ongoing bouts of fear, maybe fear of man, insecurity. Maybe some of you worry and you just can't break that sinful habit or anxiety. Perhaps other people have anger issues in whatever iteration that may be. What sinful habit continues to harass your soul? We all are repeat offenders. We're all in the collective. We all need someone to forgive us repeatedly. To still be stuck without ever changing truly can exasperate any relationship while testing the boundaries of Jesus' expectation for forgiveness, which is to repeat or to forgive repeatedly. To live well with others requires more than a never-ending cycle of, of granting forgiveness and receiving forgiveness. But what if they do not change. Paul talked about the change process in Ephesians 4. He said that we are to put off our old selves, which belongs to our former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And we are to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And we are to put on that, that new self that's created after the likeness of God in, in true righteousness and, and true holiness. I want to share with you a story from my friends Biff and Mabel of how this should look like in all of our lives. Biff and Mabel have a 12-year-old a son. His name is, is Biffy. And Biff and Mabel, they love the Lord, and they have tried to live that out in their home in an authentic way. Emulating Jesus to Biffy has been their regular habituation on how to change or what the Bible calls repentance. And in Paul's language in Ephesians 4, he gives us a, a quick at-a-glance overview of total repentance with his put off that old person and renew the spirit of your mind and, and that put on formula. Every believer brings an old way of living into their new walk with Jesus, and Paul knew that. And so he gave the body of Christ a template for a total makeover. Christians have the privilege of working out their salvation with fear and trembling. What God is working into them, we can work out progressively and incrementally, removing that former manner of thinking and doing from our lives. And forgiveness 
is part of this comprehensive process that eventually allows us to put on a new self that looks like true holiness and true righteousness. And this is the life that Biff and Mabel lived in front of their 12-year-old Biffy, and he knew this. His dad and mom have modeled and they taught him well. And by the way, Biffy is not a flippant kid. He wants to do what is right. He has a heart for God, and so he asks God to forgive him after he makes a mistake, after he, he sins. And he also asks his dad and mom for forgiveness too, if, if they are within the sphere of offense, if he has sinned against them as well. But there is a problem. Biffy never changes. The never-changing person who asks for forgiveness is a test of the offended person's Christian maturity because a person's lack of change does not remove the responsibility of the offended person to grant forgiveness when it is authentically, genuinely requested. God is our best example when it comes to forgiving repeat offenders. That's what I was saying earlier. All of us are repeat offenders, and so we want to be careful about looking over the fence at them out there who keep asking for forgiveness while forgetting that we too continually ask for forgiveness for the same thing over and over again. And guess what? God forgives 77 times. This is the this is part of what John was saying in 1 John 1, 9. He will do it whenever we ask him. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. And this is what we want to do. We want to be faithful and we want to, we want to grant that forgiveness every time it is genuinely asked for. And so with an imitatable God as our example, all Christians should be ready and they should be willing to forgive someone when they ask them to do so. But let's press the point further. Even if the offending party does not ask you to forgive them, you should be willing to appropriate God's free grace to forgive the person in your heart. I'm not saying that you should transact forgiveness for them because they are not asking you for forgiveness. But because you have a heart of forgiveness, you are ready to forgive them even before they ask. And even if they do not ask, their lack of asking should not be a reason for us to be under the control of their sinful actions. We should be motivated to have a heart of forgiveness toward everyone and anyone because we do not want to be managed by what they did. And so regardless if they ask, we want to have that attitude of forgiveness. Now, this opportunity is the power of the gospel activated in our souls. And so forgiveness, transactional, where they ask, or attitudinal, where they do not ask, that is our best option when someone offends us. Attitudinal forgiveness can always happen, even when the offender never pursues transactional forgiveness. 
You hear this attitude of forgiveness in Luke 23, where Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, we know that he was just not throwing out blanket forgiveness to everybody out there because they were not asking. But what you hear is a heart that was prepped and prepared to forgive just in case. But it is, it is even better than that. You can hear a heart that was not managed by sinful, corrupt, nasty people. Living in a relationship where nobody ever asks for forgiveness or where someone does ask for forgiveness, but change never occurs, it can be really hard. If we use their lack of change as an excuse to hold on to forgiveness, then we will make problems worse because not only are they not asking, but now we are captivated by their sin. And so the quicker that we can appropriate God's grace with at least an attitude of forgiveness, the faster we will experience freedom from what happened to us, regardless of what they do. Now, I realize that some sins against us will be more challenging than others, but there is grace for that, and, and you know that. And so an attitude of forgiveness, it frees us from what happened, and it prepares us to transact if that offender does ever come around and say, hey, will you forgive me for what I have done? And so Biffy's willingness to seek forgiveness, honestly, I, it places him at the top 10% of the Christian class. Because most people do not come back to clean up their messes. Most people just sin, and then they just go on their way, and they never desire or know to transact forgiveness. And that's why it's essential that we have a heart of forgiveness so that we are not managed by it, even if we exercise that attitude of forgiveness 77 times. Now, in Biff and Mabel's case, they tell Biffy each time that he requests their forgiveness how glad they are to release him from what he did. And on several occasions, one or both, they will take Biffy aside and they will walk him through the necessity of, of not just being released from the guilt of his actions, but they want Biffy to push beyond forgiveness toward repentance because they do see the problem there. You're always asking for forgiveness, but you're not changing. And they want him to fully repent, to be uncaught from the repeated patterns of sin in his life. An example of this is if Let's say you choose to be angry at someone. Well, it would be wise and humble to seek forgiveness for them, to, from them, to transact with them. Of course, it would be better to break the habituated pattern of anger that has captivated your soul. When I reflect on my years of counseling with families, I have observed three recurring themes of forgiveness and repentance practice in Christian homes. Here they are from worse the first. The first demographic that I have observed are families where forgiveness and repentance, they have not been part of their family dynamic at all. It just doesn't exist. Now, as you can imagine, that's quite terrible. 
And then there's a second demo where forgiveness and repentance, it does exist, but it's partial. It's not complete in their home. Some days there is forgiveness and, and maybe somebody is repenting and then other days there's no forgiveness and it seems like nobody's repenting. And then there's a third family dynamic that I have observed where forgiveness and repentance have been completely and consistently employed within the family. And so I want to take all three of those and just talk through them for a little bit. And I trust that you would be able to identify where you and your family may be in one of those three demos. And maybe it would be good to have a conversation with your family or perhaps with your spouse to talk about, hey, this is where we are. And if there's room for improvement, maybe God would uh, give you that grace and you would appropriate that grace so that you can be making some changes in your life. And so the first demo that I have observed, and of course, this is the worst case scenario, this kind of family has no repentance language operative in their homes. I mean, things like sin and and guilt and, and confession and conviction, forgiveness, reconciliation, it's just not part of their daily vocabulary. I mean, occasionally, and I'm sorry, will be tossed about for mitigating relational tension, but not for genuinely owning an offense or transforming a relationship. Now, perhaps they have not been discipled well. I mean, there was a time when we did not know these things, and so we all heard these things at some point, and maybe they just have not heard these things. Or maybe these Christians are part of a local church that does not practice complete repentance. It's just not part of what happens in this local assembly. It could be that there is no humility. By the way, humility is the prerequisite to God's grace. God resists the proud. His empowering favor is negated because of his resistance toward proud hearts. And if if pride is operative in, in this family, then, well, God is a warring army against them, and there will be no grace whatsoever. They can never get to point A, to to the first spot of asking for forgiveness so they can move out into repentance. For many people in a situation like this, it's a, a bad habit that's never illuminated by the Spirit. It's never addressed within their closest relationships. Now, I can testify to this. For the first five years of our marriage, I never asked my wife to forgive me for anything. I mean, I may have said I'm sorry from time to time, but there was never any transactional forgiveness asked or received. I never changed in any meaningful long-term ways as far as our one flesh union was concerned. We were shuffling and stumbling toward a business partner relationship or maybe roommate status. Mercifully, the Lord imposed himself on our marriage, and we began the long and the tedious and arduous process of practicing repentance in our relationship, which has become our daily habit. But it was tedious and it was arduous because if if repentance language, that's not part of your nomenclature, it, it will feel like when you first start asking for forgiveness, like you have marbles in your mouth and your jaws are wooden. Your mouth just doesn't form that way. And that's the way it was in the beginning. It was not easy, I grant you. 
But there is no doubt in our minds that what I'm sharing with you was the means of grace that transformed us and it transformed our marriage. And so the first demo, the worst demo, is a family and a relationship that has no repentance, forgiveness, language whatsoever. And then the second demo, this group of Christians, they employ forgiveness language, but does not have a a transparent, practical, working model of complete forgiveness. They are a notch higher than the I'm sorry crowd, but the kudos stop there because of their similarity to the I'm sorry crowd. There is no adequate, sustained transformation in their lives. They have a a roller coaster season of getting along, and then they have seasons where they they just struggle. They can be mainly civil to each other, especially because they have learned to get along in public. But the gospel's transformative power is not dramatically and dynamically empowered in their homes. They have experienced small changes uh, along the way because they're growing old together. I mean, if you stick together long enough, there will be some changes where you just learn to get along with each other. And there is some residual effect because many of these families are in Bible-believing churches. But we can do better than that. When the power of the Word of God and the Spirit of God come alive in humble hearts and lives Families experience transformation. Change is the power of the gospel, awakening dark and dull hearts. Now, maybe the most common reason for a partially repentant home is because one spouse is unwilling to change for whatever reason, and that happens all too often. For example... A wife who resists her husband's biblical attempts to lead her will cause any marriage to flounder. And so that marriage can never get off first base because one person is anchored to first base and they are not going forward. They are grieving the Spirit of God. They are quenching the Spirit of God. And all that God could do for them Well, it's not happening for them, and it keeps their marriage from what it should be. And so one demo that I have experienced in my counseling career is the family that has no forgiveness and repentance language at all, and it is just not exercised, and there could be multiple reasons for that. And then you have the family that they are hit or miss, seasons of doing it well or semi-well in seasons where it's just not, and there can be multiple reasons for that also. And then this third demo is where you see complete forgiveness and working out repentance. Now, this third kind of family is a confessing and forgiving family that is intentional about helping each other change. When sin happens, they own it. That's called confession. They name it, they claim it, they confess. They agree with God and they agree with others that I have transgressed God's word. Then forgiveness is asked for and granted. And of course, that is only the beginning of the change process for this kind of family. So many grace-empowered opportunities await them 
as they live out repentance before God and before each other. I mean, after they neutralize the sin, kill it dead, through gospel forgiveness, authentic forgiveness asked for and granted, they move to the glorious step of genuinely reconciling where there is nothing between them, between each other. But that's when you have an unencumbered gospel group hug. The power of Jesus removes the wall of hostility and they can come together. The offender and the offended are now partners in the transformative gospel. They are for each other, which is one of the core tenets of the gospel, practicalized. If God is for us, who can be against us? And now they are they are emulating that in their relationship. They are for each other because there's nothing between them. They have worked through genuine forgiveness, requesting, and granting. They prove this attitude repeatedly by engaging each other after they forgive each other because they want to become educated on what went wrong. They want to help each other now. I mean, we have forgiven each other. The sin has been neutralized. It is not animated. It's not going to leap up from the living room floor and, and attack one of us. No, it is dead. The power of the gospel has killed it. It is vanquished. And so now they want to help each other mortify and amputate any bad attitude or word or action, which is now the power of the gospel activated in them. By the way, you will know if the power of the gospel has successfully neutralized the sin between you and another person by how you both talk about what went wrong after you have reconciled. If the forgiveness exchange, if the transaction was authentic, then there is no reason for two people in an ongoing relationship to keep from talking about what went wrong. I mean, to miss out on this essential discussion is to miss out on an opportunity to help someone change. Talking about the sin between two people, the offender and the offended, without judgment, that is a real sign that the gospel has rendered the offense dead. It also helps to keep the offender from becoming a repeat offender, which is what was going on with Biffy. He just kept doing it over and over again, and that's why Biff and Mabel said, Hey, Biffy, thank you for asking for forgiveness. That is an excellent first step, but that is not the end of the marathon. We want you to now work out repentance now that that sin has been neutralized by the power of the gospel. A few characteristics of this kind of gospelized family are such things as as openness, transparency, honesty, humility, plus there is an intentional willingness to serve in the, the sanctification of the entire family because they can talk about what's wrong with them. And you will see, you will observe a relational warmth, a a kindness, a genuineness in their communication. I have titled this, What If I Forgive But They Never Change? Well, we know that we are all in that boat because all of us are repeat offenders in some way. And so as we classify people as repeat offenders, we also classify ourselves. And we also know that we should have an attitude of forgiveness 
all the time. That should be our general ongoing disposition so that when anyone sins against us, we are already prepared and prepped with an attitude of forgiveness so we are impervious to what they did to us by the power of the gospel because our hearts have that genuine attitude of forgiveness. And then sometimes... They will come and transact forgiveness either way. Whether they ask or not, we are not controlled by what other people do to us because we recognize that we are repeat offenders and we know the grace that we need. And so we are ready. We are positioned to offer that grace to anyone who sins against us. And so we are out from under the management of everyone because we walk around with an attitude of forgiveness 77 times in a day. And then every now and then, someone will come and they will ask for forgiveness. And now we can transact it And of course, sometimes those people will be repeat offenders, but we have the power of the gospel operative in us, and so we're ready to forgive them again when they genuinely ask. If you want to read what I just shared with you, again, go to lifeovercoffee.com. The title of it is, What If I Forgive But They Never Change? Let me ask you a couple of questions and I'll wrap up. Are you in a relationship where someone is a repeat offender? Now, that is a trick question because you are a repeat offender, and so am I. Nobody's perfect, and everybody has problems that have become patterns. Therefore, the better question should center around you and your recurring bad habits. And so with you in view, do you regularly push past forgiveness by seeking change? Are you in demo one where there is no forgiveness language? There's no repentance acting out. There's none of that in your life at all. You're in demo two where sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. Or are you in demo three where this is just how you live? I sin, I ask for forgiveness, I'm always working out forgiveness. Now, if you're in this third group, that is fantastic. Question number two. What is one of your habitual sin patterns? And so as you think about that pattern in your life, would you characterize yourself as a full repenter, meaning that you move past forgiveness after it's genuinely asked for and received, and now you really want to live out repentance? Now, I realize that you have not gained complete victory over that sin, whatever it may be but you have formed the habits found in the order of repentance. You're doing these things. This is what it means to live out repentance. You're regularly confessing, regularly asking for forgiveness. You're being reconciled regularly, and you're really trying to be restored is what Paul was saying. If any person is caught, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. You want that restoration. Is that you? If it's not, well... There's a growth opportunity here, a leadership opportunity in your life. Number three, do your primary relationships practice complete repentance as I have been describing it? Now, if they don't, what are some things that 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 keep you all from having gospel transforming relationships? What's the snag? What's the hang up? Would you give that some thought? Now, finally, I I gave some characteristics of a repenting home, demo number three. They were like openness and transparency and honesty and, and humility. 
There is a relational warmth toward each other. How would you characterize the relationships in, in your family, and in what ways could you change? Would you be willing? Could you have a conversation with, with someone about that? I've titled this, What If I Forgive But They Never Change. You can check this out at lifeovercoffee.com. Read it, watch it, listen to it, and by all means, share it with some other person so that you can discuss it. Thank you so much, and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.